he doesn't have to do that at the highest level because he's goddamn Lamar Jackson. Stop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. The best weekend of football is in the books, and now the betterest weekend of football is upcoming. <laughs> so, hey, we got Connor here, we got Sean. Hello. And we've got Ronan. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's it all down in Cork, Ronan? Uh, not too bad. It's been a wintry old week or so. Uh, you know, very much in the winter storm period of the of things. But uh, other than that, tipping away at work, and uh, you're looking forward to the end of the season we're getting close to the, the real apex of the NFL season yeah, of course no, right for the Pro Bowl games uh, next week oh yeah <laughs> Pro Bowl Pro Bowl baby looking forward to it how about yourself Sean how is uh, Waterford yeah grand uh, just back from uh, six five six days in England at wedding plus visiting various uh, in-laws uh, it was uh, I counted the, the core group if you count the kids was like 26 people and basically it was just five days of meeting various configurations of 26 people over <laughs> and over again I just I have a smaller family so I'm not used to it but it was it was grand um, we didn't we didn't get to see much other than meeting family though there's mm. Sarah wants to take me out to the peaks and see all the, the hills and uh, moors and stuff we didn't get a chance to do that but maybe next time yeah. They're called hills and bogs in this country. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They look the same. But notions, notions, I tell you. So we'll start off with the coaching carousel. Uh, obviously, a lot of people have hopped on and hopped off at this point. We'll kick off uh, probably with the biggest name one so far is the Chargers have picked up Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh to be their head coach. Obviously, he had success with San Francisco, bringing them to a Super Bowl previously. Uh, he's biggest name in college at the moment as well, having just won a title. Um, so he's, you know, they're obviously quite pumped up about this. Q, the obvious and inevitable, it's not even gotten to the offseason. The Chargers have won the offseason shite that's going to come out of this. But uh, Jim Harbaugh is a very experienced coach. His biggest probably negative is that he has a reputation for rubbing people up the wrong way. So it doesn't have like long shelf life, tends to be kind of a four or five years kind of job. Uh, he also has some interesting accusations about cheating during his time in college as well but uh you know we'll, we'll, we'll see how that works out oh I, I just need to leave exit left oh sorry ncaa i'm sure your investigation will be very important to us. yeah um but look he's a very experienced head coach has experience of developing quarterbacks did great stuff with alex smith did great stuff with colin kaepernick and so on uh hopefully now means they can do great stuff with justin herbert as well um yeah, we'll see. Like, it, it's a team that we've we've talked about the roster being, you know, maybe a little bit older and maybe not quite as set up. And you know, given they're now going to be paying Herbert his big money, they may have uh, kind of screwed the pooch on the earlier window. But uh, they've got their experience. Sorry, they've got the man they wanted. Yeah, and I think if we're going to talk about the various coaching carousel and the the names that are going to be thrown around the next few weeks, this this is the big one to have gotten. I mean, whatever about. Belichick, and certainly, I mean, we could talk about the fact that it doesn't seem to be much of a market for Belichick, but Harbaugh is, as you said, he's proven both at the NFL level with the 49ers uh, 10 years ago now, and in college, that he is an elite head coach, and the Chargers have, as we've been talking about all this year, have an awful lot of talent, but they haven't been able to put it together, most of all, Justin Herbert, and, you know, you're running out of, I mean, Herbert is still at the start of his career, but... 
you know, each year that they, they don't do something, it kind of feels like it's an opportunity missed to, to really make an impact. And Harbaugh, Harbaugh is the guy to turn this team around for, for, for sure. Um, certainly in, in the short run, I would say he, he'll come in with impact. I mean, he'll just there'll be a lot of shouting and discipline, and he'll get players working hard, and he'll find out interesting things to do with uh, Herbert, no doubt. The problem, as you said, is longer term. He tends to fall out particularly with ownership, um, which I think was the big problem in San Francisco. So it could it could very well be a thing we're, we're turning around in two or three years, being like, you know, they have a really good first year, and then it maybe slowly starts to go downhill from there. But definitely, if I'm a Chargers fan, if there even are Chargers fans, um, be excited about this, because definitely of all the names, he was the best one to, to get, and certainly it's a coup from the Chargers to, to have pipped him uh, above everyone else. I think the biggest thing is that this isn't about Herbert. It would be very tempting, perhaps, to hire like a young gun, like say, like Mike McDonald, uh, sorry, uh, Mike McDaniels in, in Miami back in the day, um, to kind of go, okay, let's build everything around Herbert and make him the center of this. That's not what you're going to get with Jim Harbaugh. He's had a number of successes building up, you know, no look franchises or building up in situations where he was taking it from the, you know, from pretty much the lowest they could be. When he came into the 49ers, remember that they were basically in a huge hole for nearly a decade at that point. Uh, the college programs that he's taken over, Stanford back in the day, and then more like Michigan, he's built them into elite units. And obviously, he went back to Michigan, his alma mater, with one goal, which was to win the college championship, which had been in the kind of purview of the SEC for a number of years at that point, and managed to finally succeed. Now, of course, as you mentioned, alluded to Connor, uh, he did have some uh, interesting investigations going on in terms of... Uh, kind of spygate type stuff basically yeah. um but you know that that might also i think he will i think he's taken interviews in the last two cycles anyway so i think he was interested in coming back to the nfl and now that he's achieved all that he can achieve i think coming back to a, a team like the chargers which doesn't really have that strong of an owner um he could come in and basically build it from the ground up and i think his philosophy won't be okay we got the franchise qb let's make everything about them i think he will be let's build this from the yeah. trenches let's get a good <clears throat> offensive line let's get a good defensive line and make a tough you know, road grader type team that no one's going to play, which is basically something that you've never seen from the Chargers. So if that if you create a team that's just good and then you also have Justin Herbert, then you definitely do see a formula for great success. Yeah. Tennessee have decided to uh, go young, I suppose, uh, or at least go a bit more exciting than their previous entities have been. They pick up Cincinnati offensive coordinator Brian Callahan to be their head coach. Obviously, he's had a lot of recent success with uh, Cincinnati. Uh, he's going to bring a Shanahan-style offense to the Tennessee uh, team hopefully the ownership has talked about uh, I, I, I don't really put too much stead in this but they've come out and said that like they've got the quarterback to build around I'm not sure if they do frank, quite frankly but Brian Callan has shown that you know he got great performances out of Joe Burrow he got great performances out of uh, Jake Browning this year as well when they were kind of forced into starting him so hopefully he should be able to pull stuff together obviously Tennessee's a bit more of a tear down so we probably won't expect huge things in the first year or so but uh yeah it's it's an interesting move to them and Cincinnati have obviously moved up their QB's coach Dan Pitcher to be their offensive coordinator with Burrow coming out and saying he's great and he's looking forward to working with him more closely and all that kind of stuff but um a, a solid B for Tennessee I think this is a good choice but like it they're not turning it around instantly it's a very different type of hire from Mike Vrabel. Obviously, you're talking here where you want to build an offense and whether that offense is going to be built around Will Levis or someone else in the near future. Uh, my, my earring right now would probably be that Will Levis will be quarterback next year, but not you know, with the assumption he's going to be the franchise QB. 
and then you bring in someone here who has a very good reputation he has a lot of uh he's very experienced despite being quite young uh his father is an nfl coach potentially uh reports he might bring his father in to be the offensive line coach who, and he's had a lot of success his father um with the browns and other teams over the years and i think the just main thing is like you know tennessee's offense has been pretty crap let's be honest for for what, basically half a decade over over like decades basically at this point and so bringing in someone who brings in what is the, the the scheme du jour of the of offensive schemes and someone who you know should hopefully be able to implement that well would be good i think he will probably bring more of a maybe more of an emphasis on the run on the play action with someone like will levis i think will help him um because he does have experience back in the day in denver with kubiak which is kind of the more run heavy version of this scheme um so i think overall i think it's it's a solid hire and obviously given the proliferation of these coaches he shouldn't have any difficulty finding uh connections uh both through his father and through the kind of wider shanahan mcveigh etc tree uh so yeah overall like it, it's a tough situation in tennessee given you know the offense is very sparse right now and the qb situation is uncertain but i think brian callahan has a solid job of potentially turning around in the next year or two uh it might he might have a tough time though like similar to zach taylor when he initially came in who also came in uh, obviously who he's worked under and who similarly didn't have any play calling experience when he brought in uh but uh, i don't know brian callahan will probably work a little bit harder because he probably won't get joe burrow falling into his lap but uh, i think he could still have he has the potential still to be a good coach here yeah, yeah. I think that there is some analysis I've seen that he is, he's kind of a one of a kind for this particular window in terms of this kind of young Shanahan McVeigh type uh, who has play calling experience. And if you want to build kind of exciting offensive thing, he was kind of this name was the name being touted about as as the guy to to put it on. So it is it's a sign of ambition from the Titans. Now, as you say, the problems is they they don't much have much of an offense uh, at the moment, and certainly. If it's Will Levis as quarterback, they're going to do an awful lot of work before he's serviceable as an NFL starting quarterback. Although, I, as I've said before, I do think he does have potential there. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a long-term project. But I, if I, I would be happy about this as a Titans fan because I do think it shows ambition that maybe the Titans as an organization haven't necessarily shown all that much in recent times. Yeah, uh, Atlanta have decided that they're not going to go with Bill Belichick. As you alluded to, Sean, he's still out in the ether and it's increasingly looking like he might not have a job. Uh, they have picked up uh, LA Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris to be their head coach. Uh, he's quite a well-respected, popular DC, still quite young in his mid-40s. Uh, and this is kind of a second chance after he kind of pooped the bed in Tampa Bay uh, back in the end of the 2010s. The uh, big problem I think I see here is I'm not sure what the direction that Atlanta are looking to go here because if you go back two or three years, Raheem Morris was their head coach. He was their interim head coach, but like he he was given a run at this team back in 2020. He went four and seven and they decided they didn't want him, went off uh, and, 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 and swapped away from him and now they've come back and said actually you know what maybe we need to give him a better chance now I'm sure he's grown in that period I'm sure he's a better coach than he was then and he's probably learned stuff in his stint with the Rams and everything but I'm really unsure of the direction that Atlanta are trying to go here and Atlanta you know they interviewed a lot of candidates including 15 or 16 candidates something like that yeah, and I think they, like, they included Bill Belichick, I think it's the only actually official interview he had. So, yeah, there's definitely interesting that out of all those candidates, which included many much bigger names, 
that they ended up going for Raheem Morris, who was a bit out of left field. He does have previous head coaching experience. By all accounts, he seems incredibly popular. Like the first thing you notice as soon as it's announced that you seem to be seeing loads of current players and other coaches going like fair play. You've made a great decision. So obviously there's a feeling here that a guy who, you know, was probably maybe thrown into the spotlight a little bit early um, in the Tampa Bay tenure and maybe didn't get a fair shot, you say, in an interim tenure is now being given a chance to properly do this. And of course, with his exposure recently to the Rams and McVay and stuff, I'm sure he'll be looking for you know, whoever the next McVeigh type uh, OC is. And I think that's going to be the big problem for him, right? Like, this is a pretty solid squad, I would say. Obviously, you've got your three elite weapons you've drafted over the last three seasons, a tight end, wide receiver, uh, and uh, running back. And you have now, a, a, I think, a defense that's got the... It's, it's a bit more of a veteran defense with the free agent acquisitions, but I think it's in a solid position. So you imagine he'll be able to get stuff from there, especially after what he did with the Rams this year with basically nothing. Uh, but the quarterback situation basically lies there in Atlanta have a mid-round first-round pick so it'll be interesting to see what direction they go with there and I think that decision will probably have a huge impact on his probability of basically surviving the kind of basically the three year three years that most head coaches get especially someone like him who doesn't come in with a huge amount of uh, uh, fanfare necessarily so you know you Ritter is not the answer I think we can fa- fairly mm-hmm. say that that isn't it so it's about whether you want to bring in some free agents to compete against Ritter or whether you're going to you want to draft trade up for a quarterback or whether you want to go with like a, a mid uh, first or like second kind of guy like JJ McCarthy or Bo Nix whatever like that but uh, that decision will probably determine his future alongside picking an OC who can get the best out of whoever they end up going with yeah uh, and just just to flag the Belichick stuff because uh, there is some relevance here in the sense that uh, apparently Belichick one of the issues with the Falcons was that the Rich McKay the CEO um, of, of the Falcons, the guy who kind of run who the GM basically reports to and the head coach reports to. Uh, Belichick did an interview with him, even though he seems to be the guy that everyone else interviewed with. Uh, and also, historically, uh, McKay served as chairman of the league's competitions committee, uh, which probably did not see <laughs> Bill Belichick in a very good light back down the day. So it possibly it's just a personality thing at the Falcons, or Belichick wanted some power that the, the Falcons structure wasn't able to give him or whatever. But... Um, yeah, it is, it is significant that this is the one job that Belichick did actually get an interview for and he didn't get it, so it does suggest uh, we might see him in a commentating booth or something uh, in, a few, uh, in a few months' time because it doesn't look like there's a, there's a job out there for him at the moment. Yeah, the other thing that's been swirling around in the rumours is that apparently, uh, even in some of the more informal chats that Belichick has had, his suggested staff are really turning people off. So apparently he is very much looking, or the reporting is that he's very much looking to get the gang back together and is talking about bringing in Josh McDaniels and bringing in the rocket scientist and people like that with him and that's turning off a lot of uh, a lot of people. But uh, we'll see if there's, I, I, we can't get confirmation on that, but there's been a couple of sources saying that, which is, uh, I can see why maybe that mightn't excite you too much. Uh, Vegas, uh, oh, sorry, Carolina have decided that they really like the look of Tampa Bay's offense and therefore have hired... Uh, Dave Canales to be their head coach and they've promoted their assistant GM Dan Morgan to be their GM so a very young pairing hoping to you know get stuff moving given they you know sold the house for the first overall pick and he hasn't really done a huge amount this year so they need to get this thing turned around locking two young guys fades together and hoping for the best it's not it's not an awe-inspiring uh hiring if you're a Carolinas fan I've actually had messages today from one or two Carolinas fans going well I'm trying to figure out how I feel about this um, 
I, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Like C plus B minus kind of area. Uh, I think Carolina was probably a, a less attractive job given you're kind of tied to this like high cost first round pick quarterback that you didn't choose and there might be some question marks over how good he is or whether he suits your system but yeah essentially because there's so much invested in him your job if you're Dave Canales is to turn him around uh, and if you fail that you're not having a job which means it's a little bit out of his hands because if you know Young's development doesn't continue uh, he's out of a job well, I think that's why they've hired Dave Canales, right? Like, he's obviously made a pretty quick ascension, although he has been in various coaching positions for over a decade now. Uh, basically, he was OC for Seattle last year, and now OC for Tampa Bay this year. Sorry, he was QB coach for, for Seattle last year, and now OC for Tampa Bay this year. So, a pretty quick ascension to head coach here. But obviously, in Seattle, he kind of turned around the career of Geno Smith, and this year he's turned around the career of Baker Mayfield. So, obviously, that kind of gives you a reputation as a QB whisperer, and not just a QB whisperer for like Peyton Manning. <laughs> Adam Gates, but actually like a QB whisperer for, you know, guys who've gone through tough periods who are trying to reclaim their careers, which, you know, Young is only in, it's going to be in his second season, but effectively is already almost in that situation. I imagine, yeah, like as you say, Carolina wasn't exactly people breaking down the door to, to go there, given that they're in a pretty tough situation with a QB that isn't someone you brought in yourself and all that stuff. And I think Dan Morgan, like they've obviously decided to go within the building. Um, I wouldn't say that's a great sign because that probably indicates some sense of continuity with the previous regime in terms of the overall strategic direction, if not the kind of the person personal connection with the owner and stuff like that. Uh, and I do think this is a team that needs to make some radical moves. I think in particular, you know, they have a good defense, and look, good defenses are valuable. Let's look at it. Let, let's look put that away but good like if you're a team in the bottom you need to fix your offense first so i would much probably rather a team which had gone you know an external gm no ties to the, the, the thing you know you have to build around young that's just you just have to basically so in that case they should be selling off pieces from the defense to get in some stuff to help them on the offensive line and weapons but i get the feeling that you know they'll use what they have they'll probably be quite aggressive in free agency but you can't fix an offense in free agency because the best things just aren't out there. You know, at best you might get a T Higgins if, if you're very lucky, but that's not going to fix an offense by itself. So I'd have major concerns here, but the one advantage is that, you know, that the bar is so low right now um, that you would imagine he should get at least, you know, two, three seasons to try and at least show embers of growth. But with this owner, David Tepper, you know, you can't really trust it right now. He's, he seems to be quickly devolving down into the Dan Snyder zone of terrible owners. Yeah, and uh, finally we have uh, the Vegas Raiders have decided to tear off the interim tag and just make Antonio Pierce their head coach. This seems to, you know, be keeping the players very happy. I believe uh, we had some of their top players come out and say, if you get rid of him, trade me. <laughs> I, want, I don't want to play for anyone else, which is... A very, very strong Max move. Crosby, probably yeah. the prominent one there. Yeah, Max Crosby basically owns this team now. He made this decision for them. Um, so I think, I think I think it's a solid decision. I think Pierce really turned that defense around in the back half of the season. I hope they pair him with a good, experienced, or at least kind of uh, dynamic offensive play caller because their offense wasn't really up to much, but like he's a defensive-minded head coach, so... Get him a good offensive play caller and see what happens. They have made an interesting move of uh, they've picked up Tom Telesco, <laughs> the LA Chargers GM, who 
let's be honest, I don't think is particularly great. He's had a couple of good hits over the years, but he's also had quite a lot of misses. He somewhat mismanaged their cap, and the Chargers are currently sitting in absolute cap hell. So unless this was a decision where, you know, a little wink and a nudge, Tom Telesco made sure he left a division rival in a terrible cap position, and he'd get the GM job over at Vegas. It's it's a weird one. I, I get the idea of getting experience at the GM position because, you know, you're pairing him with a very, very inexperienced head coach. But I don't think Tom Telesco, it certainly wouldn't be who I would have gone for. I think the biggest problem with Telesco is that he built, he was good at getting big hits, like his big swings, uh, you know, I'd say he had an okay hit rate on those, like Herbert and uh, Rashawn Slater and and uh, some pieces in defense. Well, Bosa maybe hasn't worked out, but like, you know. But in terms of building a roster... Very questionable there. But I suppose the hope here is with Pierce, you have someone who seems to have the skill set as a coach of getting the best out of players, certainly on the defense. Um, and as you say, the big choice will be offensive coordinator. There's already, I think, interviews with Luke Getze from the Bears. Obviously, some interesting, perhaps, quarterback connections there if they brought in the uh, the Bears' old OC, Getze, um, with Justin Fields. Uh, but yeah, this is a team that, you know, I think Pierce has shown he can get the best out of this defense, even though there are holes in the defense. Um, but I think obviously, we know you have to have a good offense so you need to pick the right OC and then of course right after that you're going to have to ask who's going to be the quarterback here because you know Aiden O'Connell obviously only going to be a second year player but I didn't see enough from him to believe he should be named starter without any competition so this is either a team where they need to be aggressive in getting uh, you know one of the big trade targets like Justin Fields uh, but they at very least need to get some competition for Aiden O'Connell either to draft or free agency but uh, I think Pierce is popular I think that gives them some leverage that uh, some other guys... I think that gives them maybe the permission to have a solid, if not amazing, season next year. Like, you know, seven, eight, nine wins. I'd probably be okay with that if they're building towards something. But, you know, this is going to be really tough now because he's now in a division with, with Andy Reid, Sean Payton, and Jim Harbaugh as his other head coaches. Obviously, people who have been yeah. there, done that, uh, got the ring, uh, or nearly got the ring. Uh, depends on how you count the rings for Harbaugh, I suppose. Uh, but so this is going to be a really tough situation for Vegas, but I think he will have a fair amount of rope just because I think he's, like, he, he basically basically via you know uh, industrial action has got this job to some extent so that, that'll keep the owner in line i think a little bit i think telesco almost to a certain extent will be brought in to kind of mediate between the two uh, but obviously if they lose enough over the next two years he'll eventually be gone but a bit more bit more uh fuel in the engine than maybe the average inter head coach promotion yeah, uh, the open head coaching jobs that are still out there then are Washington and Seattle. And so, as we said, the Bill Belichick stuff seems less likely. Like Seattle, they've just moved on from an older head coach and a lot of the discussion is that now the GM has the power and Bill Belichick won't want that. So I don't necessarily think that's a good fit. The other option would be Washington, where, again, they're kind of in a restart with uh, with new ownership and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not sure they want to restart with you know a coach that's maybe got four years, five years max yeah. left in him, so uh, I think it's fair to say that Belichick right now is lining up to be the ghost of every hot seat man, hot seat head coach in twenty twenty four. Basically, if you're in the hot seat, and of course we'll, we're going to briefly mention what happened with them in a moment. You know, Bill Belichick just being out there is going to create you know some pressure that would not be there in a normal environment. I think both these teams have said. They're definitely not definitely not doing anything until next week. That indicates to me that they definitely have either basically chosen or have a very strong consideration for some coordinators that are still in the playoffs. Um, I think Ben Johnson is very heavily linked to the Detroit offensive coordinator with the Washington job. Uh, Seattle, maybe someone like Mike McDonald, the Baltimore defensive coordinator. Uh, but yeah, we'll, I think 
you know, it'll probably depend how the playoffs work out, whether you'll see an announcement from these two teams, because I do think both of them are very strongly interested in people who are not going to be available until at least after next week. Yeah, interesting news from the NFC East. So Philadelphia and Dallas have both decided, ah, fuck it, we'll just run it back. So Philly have retained head coach Nick Sirianni, but they're changing up everything around him. So Miami defensive coordinator Vic Fangio was released and he's now joined them, uh, moving up to Philly to be closer to family, but also because he is a Phillies fan. He's going to be their defensive coordinator. Brian Johnson has been removed as offensive coordinator. They're currently on the hunt for a replacement with uh, one or two surprising names coming up in the search. I believe Cliff Kingsbury is in their final couple that they're looking at as well. Um, they've also obviously, with the addition of Vic Fangio, got rid of Sean Desai and Matt Patricia, which is what frees up Matt Patricia to join Bill Belichick's staff if he gets a spot. And Dallas uh, have, after taking two or three days to think about it, decided that they're going to keep Mike McCarthy for another year. No major changes except expected here unless Dan Quinn gets moved somewhere obviously he didn't leave the best taste in the mouth with the final performance in the playoffs there but there's still a chance that he might get a job he's linked a little bit to the Seattle job in particular so those two teams are just going to run it back I'm not sure I love either of those I kind of get the Dallas one a little bit more whereas like Sirianni he had his whole team quit on him like I don't think I would have been bringing him back I'm particularly not bringing him back and clipping his wings by replacing his offensive coordinator and defensive coordinators and it just feels like a little bit like you know a half measure rather than just just clear it out bring in Fangio bring in your new OC make someone else the head coach um, like if you're going to change everything else why not but yeah yeah it's the, the Sirianni thing is I mean on paper you know he's a good head coach it makes sense to, to roll it over but there's there's something really toxic behind going on behind the scenes there that, that you can definitely tell especially with the there seems to be some sort of power struggle going on at least between Sirianni and the ownership or something of a nature with all these coordinators coming and going and, and weird people being put into weird jobs so I don't expect this will work out for the Eagles but I do maybe Sirianni can can use this as a learning experience down the line to, to get better uh, at managing personalities or whatever uh, the Dallas thing is oh, it's it's hilarious right because this is just going to happen they're just going to win 12 games and go out in the wild card next year um, I think it's it's it. They're in a very tricky spot because McCarthy has made the Cowboys better, at least in the regular season, competitively than they have been in a while. And you can definitely see progress every year. And you can at least, or at least, Cowboys fans can delude themselves, or Jerry Jones can delude himself into thinking that they're one step closer to that to that elusive Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, I can't see. I I think the Packers game just demonstrated that this franchise is incapable uh, of being, uh, you know, a truly dominant uh, organization where it matters. And I think McCarthy is not the guy to, to change that. So I think it, it just may end up being more the same with the Cowboys. But I can definitely understand what they feel stuck, uh, especially since they got rid of Kellen Moore and therefore they don't really have any natural successor and they'd have to maybe go get a Bill Belichick or something like that. Uh, I can certainly see why, why they have they stick with them, but I don't think overall it's it's the in the best interests of the Cowboys in the long term. Yeah, and both McCarthy and Dak have one year left on their contracts, so like, I, I get that it's probably kind of a he works well with Dak and will keep that going, but like they're gonna have to up re up Dak now because he probably won't be mad keen to play out the season fully with like no more money left on the table and stuff. So I think Dallas is gonna get messy this off season. Yeah, like it, like these teams are on, like both these coaches are on the hot seat. That's going to be 
it's high pressure environment. Both teams are basically are Super Bowl or bust, I would say, in terms of their expectations at the very least. And obviously with Philadelphia, we know that Palace intrigue with Yohari Roseman and Lurie has been part of the job there. They've literally already fired a Super Bowl winning coach only a couple of years ago. So they're not afraid of making big moves here. I think getting Big Fangio at least quickly gets the defensive thing back to being reasonable after the Desai thing didn't work out at all and obviously the Matt Patricia thing let's not even talk about it and Fangio obviously has enough you know cachet that I imagine he can steady that ship but then the big question is who's going to fix this offense because by the end of the year the <coughs> offense had completely stalled out and like part of that's like AJ Brown's injury and stuff like that but it had just run out of ideas outside of the tush bush um, and obviously now they're not going to have the the, J, the, the, the Jason Kelsey uh, kind of run the OL type thing for me so uh, you know they've interviewed some young, interesting candidates. They've interviewed people like Kellen Moore, Cliff Kingsbury, with experience. So that will be a huge decision for Sirianni because you know I think the defense could be at least brought up to be normal, but the offense, if it's been figured out and they're playing high school type concepts, then they're going to have to get better. And McCarthy, like yeah, we know it, it's the exact like basically run it back, but it's the exact same pressure on him. Um, he needs to win like eleven plus games, and he needs to make an NFC Championship if he wants to get one more year, especially to say with the contract running out. Yeah, we've had a couple of uh, coordinator moves. So Chicago picked up Seattle offensive coordinator Shale Waldron to be their new OC in Jacksonville. Uh, picked up Atlanta's defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen to be their DC. And Green Bay have gotten rid of Joe Barry um, as well. So interesting. The Chicago move just in particular fits. Uh, Waldron, would it be something that would fit more with the fields or with a new uh, quarterback, do we think? Well, I think it would it doesn't necessarily indicate definitely Caleb Williams, but I would say it certainly is more towards Caleb Williams. Waldron is from uh, the McVeigh tree. He, he worked under McVeigh before becoming Seattle's offensive coordinator. So you'd imagine they're trying to implement a quarterback-friendly system. And while Justin Fields has many qualities, I don't really see him as a, a kind of Shanahan, you know, Brock Purdy type QB who plays on schedule. So I yeah. think Caleb Williams kind of has some of those same problems himself, but obviously he's a rookie, so, you know, less tape in terms of being on the college. So, I would say on average, like you know, like it's not as strong as the one of the initial reports that Cliff Kingsbury suggested, and he's obviously the USC offensive coordinator mm-hmm. where Caleb Williams played. That would be like, we we we. This is what we're doing, but uh, I'd still say it's biased towards Fields not being there. Yeah. Nielsen, you know, he'll have a tough job because obviously expectations are high given all the investment in the defense and. Green Bay fans, rejoice, you got rid of Joe Barry, everything's fixed. Well, maybe that's what they thought when they got rid of Mike Patton, but, you know, Joe Barry was always an interesting choice, and I think Green Bay, like, they're they're a premier franchise, so you would imagine they should be able to attract some of the higher quality uh, options out there, and it is a a defense that has had a lot of investment in it, in terms of high quality uh, picks, Um, so you'd imagine with the right personnel, they could turn around at least being, you know... It's pretty cold in Green Bay. Yeah. You could probably Uh, get away with wearing a hoodie all the time, right? Although, ironically, I think Joe Barry's best (laughs) His best work probably happened in like the last two or three games of the season, but uh, yeah, that's just the weirdness of the NFL, I suppose. Uh, we'll do a quick little wrap up of the injuries for the playoff teams, but obviously we'll talk about a lot of these in the preview parts. So Detroit's tight end Brock Wright has injured his forearm and he's gone for the season, but they've picked up Zach Ertz to kind of fill into that role. Jonah Jackson, their offensive lineman, is gone for the rest of the season. Frank Ragnow, who looked in absolute pain during the day, has an knee and ankle issue, but he's expected to play. Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Tooney has injured his pec and is 50-50. Mike Edwards has a concussion and you don't really know uh, 
but I'd imagine probably not because he'll only have the week. Isaiah Pacheco has a toe sprain and Willie Gay has a neck injury, but both of them are expected to play. And uh, San Francisco, Debo Samuel has a shoulder injury and is uncertain for the for the upcoming game. Uh, I would say that's probably tending towards not, and that could have a big impact. But like I said, we'll talk about that in the previews. Um, that's Before we get to the previews, I suppose, we have to figure out why those four teams got there. And for that, we'll look at the game reviews. Okay, first up, we'll look at Houston at Baltimore, 10 to 34. Uh, this felt like a kind of an even enough back and forth game for the first half. We went into 10 10 at the half following a lovely uh, special teams play to kind of bring it up. But then, unfortunately, Baltimore, who did look a little bit sluggish coming off their two to three weeks of rest, um, they just kind of rose up massively in the second half and there was no catching up with them. Lamar had uh, a fairly comprehensive looking day at 152 yards and two touchdowns through the air and 100 yards and two touchdowns on the ground as well. And he absolutely batters the Houston defense. Uh, you know, passing when they needed passing, big runs when they needed runs. The run game itself was working pretty well. Like it was, it was just like the second half in particular was just kind of a masterclass on, oh yeah, like we are just better at doing these things. They won't be able to stop us. Um, particularly when you think about like this Houston defense was being vaulted for having a very good run defense. And I, I'd said, I think in the preview last week, I'm not sure about that given how much yardage they gave up to, to Jonathan Taylor at the end of the season. Uh, and they just, they just didn't have a response to it. Stroud tried his best. He had 175 yards, but like, as I said, there's a lot of, exotic pressures a lot of unusual looks for him to try and diagnose this is a very very versatile defense that can kind of mess with the heads and yeah he didn't really have much of a chance the Baltimore defense was everywhere they couldn't get the run game going they couldn't get the passing game going like it felt close-ish at the half not only just because the score was tied but because there was a bit of back and forth but yeah like the Houston offense wasn't able to turn it around the second half. They weren't able to find that next gear and they just didn't really get anywhere at all. Collins had 68 yards. Like I said, touchdown off a punt return and that was all the points they scored. Like The Houston offense didn't score a touchdown in this. They scored a single field goal and Baltimore put up 34 points. That like was this, early on as well. Like. Yeah, that was at the start. Like And then it just it's one of those ones that like there was that small glimmer of hope for them just before the half but then Baltimore just went no no we're <laughs> we've shaken off the rust now we're ready to play and this was about as one-sided as games got this week yeah it's I mean I think <clears throat> what we ultimately learned more than anything else is that the Baltimore Ravens are just really good team uh, a lot of talented players being well coached and they look like they're going to be difficult to stop um, down the stretch. I mean, I mean, I, I think this game was mostly uh, impressive from a coaching point of view. I mean, we had the elite defense, and I think you've got to give credit to Mike McDonald for what he's, he's kind of sculpted there. There's definitely shades of kind of old school uh, Ravens. Uh, defenses in terms of kind of big big personalities stepping up at big moments to to be to to be to be counted when it mattered. Uh, so you know you're you're going up against you know one of the most exciting young quarterbacks in the league, and he never gets into the red zone. The offense bear basically ceases to exist after some second half adjustments, and it never looked uncomfortable for the Ravens on the defensive side. Which, given we've talked an awful lot this year about the Ravens and how they're getting things right in offense and how good Lamar is going, I think it's important to emphasize this defense looks 
like it's a really, really, really good place uh, to win them uh, a championship. And then on the offensive side, we had a first half that wasn't great from the Ravens on an offensive side. But what we saw was second half adjustments that were just lethal. Mo Todd Monken went down there and went, okay, there's, they're blitzing us like all the time. We need to find a way to figure out how to do this. Uh, so they had Lamar uh, much quicker release. I think it was like a second quicker in second half and is releasing of passes than in the first half. And just, that just killed the blitz. They had a, you know, the Texans have a, you know, a strong run defense or at least... <coughs> allegedly do and one of the big things and they, these guys met in week one was that the Ravens couldn't get their run game going at all here they managed to do that they got Lamar Jackson who the question marks have always been about is he a guy in the playoffs he has an amazing second half and they just they did that thing they've done to a lot of teams this year where they just get on a run and they they put back to back to back to back scores and then the game is over and they've won it just happened that this happened at the start of the second half rather than say the start of the first half when they did it to the, the Lions. <coughs> so very impressive from the Ravens. And it's uh, you've got to consider them strong favorites maybe to, to go all the way, it, given how the other, all the other teams uh, are looking. Uh, in terms of the Texans, I think this was the first time that we really got a sense, and first time in a long time this season, which credit to CJ Stroud for this being the case, the first time in a, lo in a long time in, during the season where his inexperience was exposed, where he was clearly seeing things he'd never seen before or didn't quite know what to do with. Like I, there were times when he actually didn't look like he didn't know what to do, as in he was, he was in, the, in the pocket looking around and he just couldn't figure out his options, which to do that to a player of that talent says something about the, the Ravens' defense. So I think the Texans just hit their... Their, their ceiling, that this is as good as this team is going to be able to get in this first year. But obviously, huge progress so far and huge potential going forward. And, you know, the, the only way is up. Um, maybe they need to develop a run game a bit more because it really seemed to, to limit their options here. They kind of lean far too much on Stroud. And their defense, which we said had been up and down, kind of did get exposed in certain ways as well. So I don't think the Texans can walk out with a head held high. They weren't supposed to be here in the first place. They won a division. CJ Stroud is the rookie of the year. Their future looks incredibly bright for this team. They just happen to, you know, they're just not good enough to win a game of this caliber at this stage in their cycle. Where for the Ravens, it's Super Bowl or bust. If this team doesn't win the Super Bowl, uh, there are going to be questions about why they didn't because they have got everything in step. They've got a really good quarterback, really talented players around him, a superb defense, and coaches, you know, from Harbaugh on down, everybody knows what they're doing and everyone's good at their job. Um, really impressive, uh, and they're going to take some stopping in the rest of these playoffs. I'm not sure about the future thing because given where we are in the, the coach cycle, it doesn't look like they're going to lose anyone potentially from the coaching staff so they could run this back but yeah right now they are playing at an elite level obviously taking out let's like quote unquote the trash which is to say probably like the second weakest team left in the playoffs um but you know they've we, we've already seen in the regular season they did this to the 49ers they've done this to even better teams they obliterated the lions they've obliterated the seahawks they've done this all year and while it wasn't perfect in this game i think the scarier thing is what you said is that they adjusted to what's happening there like in the first half you kind of got like it wasn't terrible from lamar but you got that old playoff lamar problem where if the other team gets aggressive if they force him to quote unquote do real quarterbacking um then they, they don't have the answers there um but as you said like 
Todd Munkin adjusted quite well. I think the Texans losing Christian Harris, who you know is not the perfect linebacker, but is a very athletic linebacker. I think he was playing a particularly important role as a spy there. Like I think once he went out and you're like relying on like Denzel Perryman, who's more of a bruiser type guy, you know that that definitely opened up things for Lamar. And then you just saw that they were trying to play a bit of man and stuff like that because uh, obviously that makes sense with the blitz. And that I think unless the blitz hit then what happened immediately is that there's just this huge gaping hole into which Lamar could just easily scamper for 10 20 30 yards at a go and that just crushed the Texans again and again um on the defensive side and by the end of the game they just didn't have anything left in the tank and it's a young defense this defense defense will only get better as they continue to invest in it as you would imagine Tamika Ryan's a defensive head coach will do um but yeah they were just outplayed I think that transfer that that the Lamar showed that he doesn't necessarily like he can make those adjustments that obviously he has enough of a passing range that he can do the quick passing to say um he doesn't have to do that at the highest level because he's goddamn lamar jackson and he still does all the lamar jackson bullshit so he just needs to be like you know if he's a top 10 normal quarterback plus being lamar jackson that shit is incredibly scary uh, for other teams but what's even more scary i would say is their defense which absolutely um as you said obliterated stride from the planet here um i think the two problems for stride was that you know even when he did the right thing against the pressure and the pressure was hitting a lot of the time because the offensive line which is has a lot of quality players like Laramie Tunsil just wasn't able to do its job because this Mike McDonald uh, scheme where basically you have the similar looks but with completely different pressures all the time it basically feels like the future of the NFL like Bill Belichick was doing this during the year as well and obviously getting great results out of very mediocre talent um, but like Stride was getting pressured early and he was doing the right thing which is like dumping it off to your uh, running back or your outlet or giving it off for, for run plays but the problem is is that once you did that the Baltimore defenders were just over them all like over that player like a rash and like you know those kind of quote-unquote free yards you're getting to the blitz like you know two three four yards like it's not perfect but you're moving the ball you're moving the chains that was not happening they were getting caught behind the line they were getting caught at the line and it just felt like Stroud as the game went on and he realized that even if he did the right thing he wasn't getting the results against when, when things broke down he just felt like he had to do more and more and more and more and having to like hold the ball longer and trying to get outside the pocket and Baltimore were just eating that up all game like even the first play i think it's like you know it was put on twitter a lot it's like just uh jadavion clanny is like taking an offensive lineman and just taking him to town or maybe it's a tight end just taking him to town getting earlier pressure it doesn't show up in the stat sheet the stats aren't impressive for the world ravens but the pressure is there the dominance was there and this defense genuinely does feel like especially against the modern nfl which is all about yards after the catch all about getting easy yards all about playmakers this feels like the perfect defense to shut that shit down because they are so strong down the middle and i think unless you're able to beat them out wide and i think they have some vulnerabilities deep uh, but that's going to be really hard if you know the exotic pressures are getting too more, getting too more often than not, and getting the 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 kind of reliability needed for a quarterback to believe they can make take those deep shots taken away from them so really impressive from Baltimore in that second half to adjust and look absolutely dominant and yeah I think certainly right now based on this game and based on what they did in the back half of the season probably the Super Bowl favorites right now yeah next up Green Bay at San Francisco 21 to 24 San Francisco have a late comeback oh my god the first one ever as uh, Purdy has 252 yards in the touchdown and does enough on the final touchdown drive to kind of cap off what was a wildly unimpressive game from San Francisco let's be honest uh, you know Debo was out so that doesn't help he's a huge part of their offense and we said between himself and the left tackle like whenever they're out you see a huge drop off in it so they gotta hope he's gonna be back next week CMC had 128 yards and two touchdowns so he was kind of the engine of the offense Kittle at 81 and a touchdown um, but this was Green Bay's game they kind of had it in hand and then they just 
started to make silly mistakes. So they had two interceptions. They were two of five in the red zone. They missed a field goal. They dropped surefire interceptions. Like, this is a game that Green Bay definitely should have won. And uh, and they didn't. And San Francisco got lucky to, to, to get away with it at the end. Uh, Love had just shy of 200 yards, two touchdowns and two interceptions. And unfortunately, they kind of... Even though he's a, what, a fourth-year player, the, the, the inexperience, I think, was coming in or maybe he was just believing his own headlines or whatever because uh, he properly went for a Brett Favre-style, fuck it, I'm sure this will work, breaking out to his right, decides to throw it back across the field, across his body, and probably the easiest interception that San Francisco will make this season. They pick it up and that ends the game. And unfortunately, that's the end of the the, 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 the very exciting kind of last eight to ten weeks of this Green Bay team. Uh, it's unfortunate it ends in, in such a way, but, you know, this is a San Francisco team that is better than it played in this game, I would say. Uh, and... We'll see if kind of, you know, similar to the, the, the Ravens were quite slow off the mark in their game. San Francisco, maybe it's just kind of slowness coming out of, 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 of having the bye week or whatever. But yeah, uh, San Francisco definitely looking more vulnerable from this. But for Green Bay, uh, it's just their own kind of silliness, just little mistakes, just not quite executing. And like we talked about it beforehand, this is a wide receiver group that is all first and second year players. This is a quarterback who's starting for their first season. Like there's a lot of room for growth in this team and to run the kind of, you know, the, the scary big dogs of this season this close and to a point that you probably should have beaten them is a very big achievement for a Green Bay team that many thought were doing absolutely nothing this year. For San Francisco, get your head back on straight. You've got a big game coming up now against the Lions and uh, pray to Christ that Debo is back, I suppose. I think it's a testament to how much Green Bay should have won this game, that this is more heartbreaking than those you know, playoff losses they had with Aaron Rodgers, where obviously they were coming in number one seed and stuff like that. This felt worse to me personally because they had it. Like, and the bet noir of La Battle Floor has been Shanahan um, more often than not in the playoffs and in the regular season. And he had him. He dominated him on both sides of the ball for long, long stretches of this game. And yet, because of their own fuck-ups, they basically walk away with a loss. And yes, it's, it's house money and they're a young team and they'll be back. But to get a chance like this against your hated, effectively, rival, obviously historically, certainly these are the two most successful teams alongside the, the Cowboys in the NFC. And to potentially have a lion, like a shot against the Detroit Lions who you hockeyed earlier this season, like this, I think this will sting. I think the only good thing is that they, unlike the Rogers situation, this feels like the the start of something than the end of something. But still, like this, like they should have won this game. Like the the screw up started, like you know, the the dominance started early. Like they had, I think, the first three drives all ended up in the red zone. I think they only got two field goals out of that. Um, and they, like I think they had a fourth down failed conversion on goal line. And it's just like that's how frustrated Matt Lafleur must have been to come that close and yet not to be like kind of turning the screw and like really putting the pressure. On Brock Purdy to try and win this game and then late on in the game it's just that the same thing show up again um you obviously have that field goal miss you had like a dropped interception early in this game then another one late on in this game that were just dead to right picks like there's no way they should have dropped those and then of course on the final drive you know despite all of that and obviously because you've played so well you still have that one shot that one opportunity to to win the game um you know not in tough to you know obviously really tough position with only a minute left uh but 
Jordan Love, who has played so well down the back half of the, half of the season. Uh, he has played so well, put so much hope into this team, um, and obviously he's probably going to get a big bunch of money in this offseason. You know, the things that we saw in the first half of the season, that when the chips were down, when it's like, you know, it's like, you know, risk it or biscuit moment, he just does the dumb thing. He turns into, like, the dumb version of Brett Favre, and he just hooks it up there, and, you know, coming out, rolling out of the pocket, throwing across his body into the middle of the field, the thing quarterbacks are told again and again, don't fucking do it, don't fucking do it, please don't do it, and I think literally there was a sync-up with, like, a historic, like, one of, uh, I think it's Favre's Minnesota pick, um, where it's just, like, literally looks exactly the same, and it's just, like, God fucking damn it, why uh, did you do this? And of course, they only needed a field goal, of course, to tie this game and take it overtime. So, you know, this wasn't like a desperation situation. They only need like 20, 30 yards. And it's just like, the, it, it just, like there's so much promise. And like, they were so dominant uh, down the stretch. And then to, like to have it end in the way it felt like the, the early part wasn't working out, it must be so frustrating for everyone in the organization. And it's kind of weird because like, you know, it's not just that their offense played really well, though it did uh, for most of this game outside those uh, interceptions. I think the first one was quite unlucky. Um, but it's the um, it's the defense. The defense played really well. Like they had the better of Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy, and this has happened a couple of times in the last uh, stands of the season. Didn't look out there. And of course, you could say Debo's not there, so you're not don't have the same capacity to make those kind of easy yards after the catch, uh, like uh, like yards that the kind of the empty calories almost of the of the offense. Like CMC was playing well. Like you had a couple of big plays at George Kittle. So there was still obviously a functional offense there, but maybe you didn't have like, you know, when Brock Purdy was having a tough game, when it felt like Joe Barry's defense was confusing him and was getting him on his back foot, that he couldn't just dump it off to Debo and just get him, you know, get five, ten yards for free off that uh, after once he left out early. And then, you know, and it's kind of weird, like because Joe Barry we just said he got fired, but his best two games were in this game probably and then against Dallas last week and then he also dominated two of their division rivals down the stretch as well so it's weird that he's getting fired now after finally presumably figuring something out but you know in this this case like the, the defense was dominant and they had two as i said easy picks so you know if you bamboozle the other quarterback to get basically two you know down to earth like almost guaranteed picks out of them you know you've done a good job and yet they just can't finish it and so it feels in both ways like you know the culmination of the, the the mistakes of the earlier season, but it also feels like the same issues that that marred this team during the Aaron Rodgers era that they couldn't get out of their own way, that they just made their their own mistakes are still there. So this feels like a team that psychologically, I think going next year will have lots of positive things, but the niggles in the back of the head, I feel like they're going to be there until they can prove it against this 49ers team because they're going to be here. You feel like for year after year after year, a shout out to head coach, um, and that's going to be a big barrier they need to get over for Lafleur and the rest of them. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. We we talked. We've compared the Texans and the Packers a few times during this these playoffs as being kind of you know uh, young upstart teams, nothing to lose on a run. Um, and whereas the Texans can walk away from the Ravens game going, we just weren't good enough. The Packers they can't do that. They can't walk away and say we weren't good enough. They can only say that we we didn't execute when we needed to do. And I. They've got, I think, I think, heads will be down. They'll need to think about it. But eventually, I think they'll come around to the idea that, you know, credit where it's due for the guys. They they made a really good effort, and they've lots to build on for next year. And sometimes it is the experience thing of Jordan Love throwing across his body or whatever. Someone's just not taking the opportunity to kill, to, to kill the game, like offense coming up short a few times, a few defensive drops uh, on uh, interceptions such like that, these are all learning experiences. This is how you learn to be a better team. 
is you 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 come across these experiences and you make the wrong decision, so you know in the future you don't. But I think that the Packers, even though this is going to be a little bit of a heartbreaker, the, the only way is up for this team as long as they can kind of hold it all um, together. I do think though with the 49ers, obviously it was not the best performance they put out this year. But the one thing they did do in this game, which we haven't seen them do, and we weren't even sure that the the Shanahan type team could do this, is they gritted it out. Right? They were losing. It wasn't looking well. That oh, it was. Slightly off in all areas. Purdy was under, under pressure. Then they had, you know, Debo going out injured, which in previous times this season has been fatal in terms of if they lose that offensive cohesion, it all seems to fall to bits. But they found a way to win. And it was the first time, I think, this year where they haven't just looked like the 49ers as a steamrolling team. They've looked like 49ers as potential champions, the teams who can reach down and find something within themselves as a way to get forward. You had George Kittle being the kind of the catalyst to get them going, the, the safety blanket that Purdy could rely on, and then McCaffrey comes out as, as the big weapon. You got on the defensive side, Dre Greenlaw making big uh, plays when it mattered. They found other options in terms of their passing game, bringing in Jennings, even finding Connolly for, for one big throw. Like, it, 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 they found a way to win that wasn't their normal way of winning, which is the one thing this 49ers team hasn't been able to do at all uh, this year and has never looked like it is. So this is a really big... I think psychological as much as I think step forward is, is that the Niners should be going home because they've made all the mistakes that usually have led to defeats this season, but they didn't. They found a way to win and they'll move on. Um, <clears throat> and I think they will be better once they get back into the groove of things. I think you have to realize they, these guys won their number one seed in like week 17. So they've basically had three weeks off uh, and it, it sometimes takes a while to get back into the groove. But you're right. If they play this way against Detroit, they're going to probably lose quite badly but I don't think they will. I think this is the they get this out of their system now. They get back in the groove and they, and they you know get back to their their old way of doing things. But at least they know now in their back pocket we are capable of doing this. And if it chips are down, we can find a way to grit it out. And even with Purdy seeing both sides of them, you know early on looking looking vulnerable, uh, but later on being able to you know string a, a crucial drive together. Yeah, that kind of grit is what we haven't seen from Niners so far. So it is good to see them in terms of being the championship because it's not all going to be a walk in the park and they are going to have to get wins like this if they want to win it all. Yeah, next up, Tampa Bay at Detroit, 23-31. to 31. <clears throat> Detroit get a game-sealing interception. It was Barnes, the uh, linebacker, as Baker had... And overall, a pretty good day. 348 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions. The other one being kind of a tip ball thing. But, uh, like, it was overall, it was it was probably as good as you could have hoped for out of, out of Baker, minus that, that unfortunate mistake at the end, because uh, he was getting chased around quite a bit in the backfield with that. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, they come up short. Goff had a good day, 287 yards and two touchdowns. He was basically just able to constantly hit them in the middle of the field because the guys had backup defensive backs in later in the game. They were just they just weren't covering the middle of the field well. So we saw, like, Gibbs, Amon-Ra, Laporta, all these guys getting getting decent performances uh, out of the game. Now, obviously, there's offensive line injuries. We talked a little bit about them, and there's some concerns coming out of those. But this was kind of a traditional... So it's weird to call it traditional if it's only what three years he's been coached there, but like a traditional Detroit style coaching decision. So like we had running it up the gut on fourth down to, 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 to get scores. We had just like happy to send people out there. Like 
it was it was a decent performance. I liked I liked the amount of pressure they were managing to get from the Detroit defense. It doesn't have a lot of natural rushers in it. Hutchinson was causing issues, and they would seem to be getting a lot of kind of free rushers on Tampa Bay during the game. But then you know on on, on the back end they were giving up a lot of a lot of mileage. I suppose it was at 348 yards passing for Baker in this game and three interceptions. So it's not uh, exactly a lockdown defense from Detroit on the Tampa Bay side. They did well. The injury started to, to get to them. And then I think kind of felt a little bit like they were playing their best football and staying there, thereabouts. But they didn't really feel like they were big enough for this game. Uh, and I, I know that's a little bit intangible and all that kind of stuff. But like, the, I, I feel the scoreline flatters a little bit uh, what Tampa Bay actually did in this game. Because like the reason, the reason it scores here is because they were down two scores. They got a late score with what four minutes left five minutes left something along those lines they went for two which is the correct move to make from the numbers perspective so then you can win with a with a one pointer or you can uh, do your second two pointer to to try and tie it up but like it felt like they would need to have absolutely everything break right and them to essentially just get very lucky to win versus detroit i feel maybe they could have done a little bit more maybe they could have sealed this game a little bit earlier but like i don't think at any point it ever really felt in doubt to me yeah i mean i i, I think the the one score nature of this game does kind of skew the narrative in terms of how we think about it but i i was really impressed by what the lions did here especially for a team which basically has no playoff experience i mean one of the things i think we learn when we see these kind of playoffs is that the games are basically entirely different to regular season games there's all different kinds of pressures each individual score matters if you end up falling behind by any kind of a distance you're, you're in trouble uh, and for the in lions in this game they were just they're playing a team that they were better than but they couldn't seem to get away from them the 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 Bucks kept being able to score when the Lions didn't, and it kind of felt like they were being pulled into this grind. Uh, and lesser teams would have wilted. Lesser teams would have would have started making mistakes, um, especially given what this team is capable of. We know, for example, Jared Goff can be quite mistake prone. We know this defense teams have found vulnerabilities in this defense uh, in the middle of the season, in particularly. But they did. They they found a way to win. They found depth. They found you know uh, players at tight end like Brock Wright to come out and do things. They made adjustments in the second half in terms of being able to find where the soft spots in the coverage were and, and the defense uh, in general. Jared Goff I think needs real kudos for how he's completely changed the narrative. This guy was you know Sean McVay held his hand. That's why he made a Super Bowl. And Bill Belichick just ripped out his soul. And he spent five years trying to rediscover how to play football. And he got basically thrown on the scrap heap uh, because the the Rams wanted to bring in Matt Stafford. And it looked like his career was just going to fade out. And now he's he's le- he's not just part of a team going to the NFC Championship game. He's leading his team. He is being the quarterback that they need him to be, making the, the right decisions in, in their in the right moments find, finding knowing who his guys are to throw to and knowing how to how to lead an offense down the field and that's an amazing transformation for a guy who many people kind of wrote, wrote wrote off as any kind of significant factor in the nfl so i think that the lions have kind of hit their groove now they certainly got over all the problems that they had in midseason. the defense looks stronger the offense looks uh, you know as potent as it did 
And I think they're potentially as good as anyone that maybe they're not quite at say the Ravens level or whatever, but I certainly think they can give anyone that's left a good game and, and not, they're, not, they're not out of their depth and they're, they're in a situation where they're playing, you know, they're, the four teams that are left, are, you know, this Kansas City who obviously won it all loads of times, the 49ers who look like the most incredibly talented team in the world when they're on the field and the Ravens who seem to have the complete package and the Lions don't look out of their depth, which is an amazing thing to say about an organization that, you know, went 0-16 and not, not all that long ago. So amazing credit to the you know the coaching and the and the structure in place for putting up there and it's it's such a fun journey now to see how far uh, that they'll go in terms of the books i mean that the biggest problem the books has was they just weren't good enough right that they battled hard and they made the right decisions and baker mayfield had a great game but ultimately this was just not a team that had the talent to win this game um they maybe made a couple of strategic mistakes when they got behind they kind of abandoned the run game which was strange because that was seemed to be the one area where they were actually making some sort of uh, advantage. Um, they had a kind of their, their swarming defense seemed to cause a lot of problems early, but they got adjusted to and didn't counter adjust. Uh, it's small things like that, but ultimately the books can just be you know they should be happy that they were among the last eight teams uh, in uh, in the NFL shakeout this year because they're not that good a team. Had they been in a different division, they probably wouldn't even have a winning record. And yet they managed to make it this far and give a, what is a very good Detroit team a, a fairly competitive game. So, you know, again, a team that loses but can go away happy saying, you know, this this is better than we thought we'd be. And there's maybe some things to build on now. They're going to talk, think about the, the contract to, to Baker Mayfield uh, and, you know, ch changes at coordinators and such like. So there is some some work to be done. But the books, they're... They end up looking a little bit better than we thought they were, and, and that's a good place to be. But for the Lions, yeah, really exciting to see how it goes. And it's, it's just an adventure at this point, right? They, now it's going to start to the point where they're playing with house money because they've, they've, won, every, you know, they've won America's hearts or whatever. Now they, and they certainly look like they're, they're, they're here to stay. So, you know, if they win or not, it doesn't make a huge bit of difference, I suppose, because this team is, they've built solid foundations, and I think they'll be back year, year on year. I'd probably be a little bit more concerned about the Lions. I do feel that at certain points in this game, I think Tampa Bay were probably the slightly better team. But I think, you know, the good sign for the Lions is that they were clutch. I think at the moments when they needed the various people to show up, they did. And I think you saw Goff show up. I think he took advantage of the middle of the field, particularly with Laporta and to Lester Damon Ra, um, against what I thought was some, you know, eventually some, some pretty aggressive play calling from Todd Bowles, you expect, who, who likes the blitz. And I think he handled that pretty well, and that's despite the offensive line having those injuries. So I think that's a good sign, but I don't think it was a dominant display by Gibbs. And of course, he was outgained uh, by Baker by, by a non trivial amount. Um, so I think that's solid but it wasn't exactly like they were blowing the Tampa Bay defense off its doors or by any stretch and they had to rely on a couple of clutch plays from Josh Reynolds and I think especially uh, down the stretch they needed like you know Jameer Gibbs to show why he's uh, such a talented running back he has that potential to be I see a little bit of Todd Gurley in him that ability just to to make those uh, small creases turn into big plays uh, obviously his touchdown being the highlight of that ability um, and they like uh, working that really really well and of course I think especially late on as well you saw one of the, the DBs go out 
out and then Goff kind of picked on him for a while and that's great but you know you're not going to get like a backup DB uh, defensive back every single game right that's not going to you know you know if something happens to you so you know they, they kind of blitzed away at the, at the end of this game and took control in the fourth quarter but you know they had things go their way and on the similar side in terms of their defense I think their defense at certain times you know they got lucky they got like the first interception was tipped off Mike Evans which you don't usually expect I think Mike Evans by the end of the first half was starting to make those big plays they, they are vulnerable in the secondary and I think, you know, for, for, for a lar- large amount of time, like, Baker was doing a pretty good job against defense. I think the big thing was the Lions that every once in a while, or for, for it felt like every drive, there would just be one big sack and un- basically completely unblocked, uh, you know, rusher, usually from a defensive back, and it would get to Baker, put them in a tough situation, and that offense isn't quite good enough to usually dig them back when they're put into obvious pass situations. Uh, but Rashad White had a good game here, so I didn't get the sense that Detroit's defense was, you know, dominating here by any stretch. They, they weren't bad. But like, you know, this isn't the best, like this is probably the worst offense in the playoffs at this point and they didn't really do that great against it. You saw the vulnerabilities, especially kind of on the outside cornerback situation. And I think, you know, I, I, to a certain extent, like, you know, like the Lions, we love them and they're going to fight to the right thing and they showed up clutch here. But against, like by far, probably the worst team in the playoffs left, you know, they didn't look that much better, to be frank. Um, they looked like a, a more motivated team, a better team and a more clutch team, but they didn't look uh, objectively a much more talented team. And when you're gonna when you're talking about playing like the 49ers next and then playing like the Ravens or the Chiefs in the, in the Super Bowl, like I think, like to me, they they stand out as the weakest team left, and by a, a non-trivial amount, in my opinion. Um, like obviously, fair play to them. Obviously, this is a team, as you say, it hasn't won before. But for me, you know, like they've got some really good things about them, but they still feel a class below. But especially Boo, if they have like, Rodin, especially with, if their offensive line isn't dominating. No heart. No heart. Goff, Goff can be a good quarterback, but is he going to be a great quarterback? And, and, and you know, that's what we need. It'll be interesting, actually. I obviously in the previews because it's two quarterbacks there in the, in the NFC Championship who um, I think there'll be a lot of pressure to show uh, that it's not a mirage built on, on other people's talents that's getting them through uh, this season. Mm. Ronan has no heart. Uh, KC at Buffalo up next, 27-24. to 24. Um, Another heartbreaking loss for Buffalo. Uh, Bass missed a 44-yard field goal at the tail end, allowed the Chiefs to kind of run out the tail end of the clock. Uh, Allen had a good game, 258 yards with three touchdowns and kind of tried to do everything he could on the field uh, to chip away at like, Kansas City defense that was allowing them quite a bit of space in the run game but was shutting down an awful lot of other bits for them um although as i'll talk about in a second i think possibly alan's desire to be the hero may have been uh, his downfall in this one there was a number of misses and a couple of drops in this one a couple of very unusual decisions like the fake punt on their own 30 yard line was just bizarre to me uh, i know it was to do with the fact that they spotted there was 10 men on the field but like the only reason I can possibly think in that scenario to go give the ball to Damar Hamlin and try and run a fake punt is that he's already got a futures contract with like Universal for the film rights and he thought that would really make a big scene for it. Uh, on the other side, Mahomes, 234 yards, two touchdowns, quite efficient in this game, a couple of big plays, particularly at the start of the second half, but the engine of it was Pacheco who had 111 yards and a touchdown. Uh, they were getting the better of the Buffalo defense for the most part. Um, and like, look... I'm not not to be disrespectful to Buffalo, but frankly, this scoreline flatters a little bit on it. Uh, they had as much as possibly could break right in them. I think they were three out of four for the fumbles went their way. They managed to get a hard been fumbled through the end zone to stop the Chiefs going up double digits on them. And 
even at the point that Bass missed it, it's not Bass's fault. There was still two minutes left on the clock. Uh, I don't. I, I they hadn't actually, with the exception of the the the, the kneel down uh, at the end of the half and the punch out. It's like from, 10, from the, 13 seconds, right? Like something like that. Uh, that's <laughs> it. Like, they, we could probably score ten field goals. <laughs> but um, yeah, like it was it was it was mistakes at different points uh but it, it genuinely kind of felt like more like kansas city should be up more at the tail end than, than they were um on that last drive though i think that's what's going to be the worst for them so there was a couple of bits like there was uh digs once again no showing in a big game dropped a, a massive throw that was very exciting but buffalo in their final drive had done a very good job of methodically working down the field eating about six five to six minutes off the clock like i said the chiefs defense were letting them have the stuff underneath uh letting them have the have the run game and for some reason just coming out of the two minute warning they decide we're not going to run the ball anymore we're going to go to the air and we're not just going to go to the air even though we've been methodically moving down and the Chiefs are giving up the stuff underneath we're just going to take some end zone shots so he took an end zone shot that was was it initially to Diggs or Shakir but like he could yeah to Shakir and he completely missed Diggs underneath on a crossing right that you know would have gotten the first down eaten more clock and brought them closer in then the next one gets hungry again wants it all gets chased off to the side by the Chiefs defense uh it was it was terrible game management at the tail end frankly uh and i i I think that's what's going to haunt them a little bit in it but like i kind of get the i kind of get the idea they have because their defense hadn't shut down the chiefs at all like they'd held them to field goals once or twice but like i said with the exception of the miko hardman fumble that was punched out they hadn't stopped the chiefs from scoring on almost any of their drives you know it was it was uh i think there was what one punt like something along those lines it was it was fun. It was exciting. It was very much in line with what my prediction was of we were going to get decently high scoring back and forth, exciting stuff. Um, but yeah, it was uh, impressive. This is a worry for Buffalo, though. This is this is the kind of this was their year. Everything was set up. They had everything in place, and they still couldn't get it done. They were at home when they hadn't been at home for this beforehand, and all that kind of stuff. It was. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a tough one psychologically for that team, and it's a team that's facing some big uh, cap decisions in the next year anyway as well. So we'll see how how they reform from from the Chiefs side. Much better from the offense. Quite a concern from the defense on the amount of running they were allowing. And once Willie Gay went out, what they were doing to handle um, the running from Josh Allen because he was allowed to 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 break out and get his legs using a lot and that. <laughs> That's pretty much Lamar Jackson's bread and butter, as we said. He had 100 yards and two rushing touchdowns last week. So, fingers crossed, Gay's back to act as a spy, or they just scheme up something to deal with that, because they didn't adapt to it fantastically well on the fly until probably the middle of the third quarter. Um, But yeah, overall, good win for Chiefs. Uh, Nice to see the offensive doing some things for Buffalo. Heartbreaking, but uh, yeah, it is what it is. I think you're right. Like I think it's it's not something you've heard a lot of. I think because just the way they lost, it's like wide right, etc. But you're right. The Chiefs were the better team in this game. Like I, I I think like you know the moments that will stand out are the ones kind of towards the end of the game after the Michael Hardman fumble that kind of kept them in the game because there was a moment there after they had their failed fake punt in particular uh, and then the Chiefs were looked like they were going to touchdown and they got the touchback. Like when the Chiefs looked like they were going to just like close this game out and you know 
Buffalo, I'm sure, would have had some heroics at the end, but it would have been an easy enough win for the Chiefs. But they kept it close because of that fumble. And then you had the, the, the deep shot, the digs that he couldn't pull down, that people put a lot of focus on. They had that throw to Shakir on second down that you referenced, that that would have been a touchdown if he caught it. Um, but like I don't disagree with that call, because like, Shakir was wide open, and it's only really because Chris Jones was getting immediate pressure on Josh Allen that that little bit of inaccuracy was there. So, you know, like I get it. Like, you know, do you want to give Patrick Holmes two minutes? No. But do you want a touchdown? You probably want a touchdown more than you're afraid of giving Mahomes two minutes. Otherwise, you're like you're kind of a pathetic franchise. I would effectively say, like, don't be like a little bitch. I get 13 seconds happen, but score a touchdown if it's there. You know, the, the third down, I think, you know, that was a failed play. And so, like, and all and all that's obviously accentuated. Of course, then he misses the kick. But you know, objectively, the Chiefs were you know winning this game. Uh, and they were the better team. As you said, they were able to move the ball well. They were getting, you know, they were running the ball well with Pacheco. Um, they were, you know, getting good plays underneath to Rice. They were even MVS caught a yeah, football. Like, I was literally going to, yeah, MVS made a couple. Even one uh, one was a pretty tough catch. Like, if you get that in the next round, you know, maybe, you know, like, uh, you know, they've got a good shot going the rest of the way. Uh, but, you know, Mahomes was playing... You know, he was doing what he needed to do, but you saw some of the elements that you haven't seen from Kansas City nearly this entire season come out to out, to supplement the things that have been working, carrying them down the back half of the seasons, like uh, with the the, pa- the short pass game and stuff like that. And they've kind of found their mojo. Except, you know, Miko Hardman and Kadarius Tony have now been banished to the to the shadow realm because they just are negative, uh, you know, uh, negative players, and they just Hardman two touches, you. two fumbles. For yeah. sake, like <laughs> so, and you just say like you know, we talk about all the bad luck for Buffalo, but as you said, like they had a no, they had like two or three fumbles that you know, I'd say like there's at least a fifty fifty chance they should have been got by the defense, and you know, fair play to the, the the other Buffalo players like being on their on their marks and getting on the ball quick, but like they were getting a decent rub of the green, I would say for for a reasonable point, even you know like some of the kicks that, that earlier on that went through would have been were pretty close, um and yeah, like obviously they're gonna rue. The mistakes they made, like, you know, trying to get Damar Hamlin, his hero moment with the fake punt and those missed drops and those misses and all those kind of stuff and, and what else. And, of course, that, I, like that that's because this isn't just one game. This is multiple seasons where the Chiefs have owned the soul of Buffalo. And this is obviously their chance at home, finally, to, to make it to make a count uh, where they have a snowball's chance, uh, you, know, uh, you know, as long as snowballs aren't being thrown at Chiefs players. Um, then, you know, but objectively... You know, compared to the 13 second game, which I think was the what that was the heroic game. That's the game that they genuinely probably did deserve to win in the end. You know, this, the, you know, like it is heartbreaking. It they obviously could have won this game, took it OT and stuff like that. But I think objectively, on the balance of probabilities, it's a game that the Chiefs probably deserve to win. Uh, it's heartbreak because of where the Buffalo Bills are versus this team over you know half a decade now. But objectively, in this game, I think it was the right result. Yeah, it is kind of amazing how history repeats itself. I think we're seeing in the Kansas City Chiefs uh, a reincarnation to a certain extent of that Patriots dynasty. And I, I've been in it, I think, to see it from the other side now because it's like my thoughts when I watch this Chiefs team is, my God, they're going to fucking win every game, aren't they? They're just, they're just this team that just wins, you know. And we talked in the middle of the season about the Eagles when they weren't playing well but were winning games as, you know, champions win. That's what they do. They grind it out. But I think this, this run that the Chiefs are on uh, – you know, through, throughout the playoffs and late in the regular season, demonstrated it as well that they, that this team has been off all year. They haven't been able to figure out what they're doing offensively. They've had a really good defense, but the offense just hasn't been working. And yet here they are, in a game against their, you know, their biggest rivals, quote unquote, uh, of recent times. 
uh, in their building, uh, you know, having to kind of pull out a performance and all the important parts of the offense, Mahomes, Kelsey, MVS, what have you, they all caught fire when they needed to. Like this team has been trying to figure out an, an offensive game plan all season and we were starting to think about it. You, you, it's too late now. This team cannot figure out how to, how to be good this year. And this year, this game they did they figured out how to do everything that they needed to do and they won the game and they and they they grinded it out in a, in a you know in a, a situation where obviously there's a lot of emotion on the other side the other team is you know trying to play their heart out and the, the fans are cheering them on or whatever they just went down and they did their business and as you said they looked relatively comfortable um doing it so I, I'm starting to get this feeling that the Chiefs are just unstoppable, right? They're just going to walk into Baltimore next week and do the exact same thing. But we'll get to that uh, in the previews. Uh, so the offense starting to find its groove a, a little bit. Defense is very good, although I would be a little bit worried about the run defense. Uh, I think the advanced stats have always said that the Chiefs' run defense is not quite as good as the rest of as the pass defense is. Here they gave up, I think, 124 yards uh, of, uh, in the run game in the first half alone to the Bills. And that's obviously something to worry about given how different ways that the Ravens uh, can kill you. But but the real story of this game, I think, is the Bills because I think we, we might start to think about is this the opportunity? If, if, the, if the Chiefs are the Pats, then the Bills are all the other teams that the Pats kept steamrolling over the, the, the Chargers and the Jets and even to a certain extent uh, the Colts. Manning, Peyton Manning didn't win anywhere near as many Super Bowls as he should have because the, Chief, the, the Pats were always in the way and it feels like the Bills may never get their opportunity to, to walk away with the Super Bowl largely because they happened to they had their you know, star quarterback come through at the exact same time uh, as the, as one of the greatest players of all time, and uh, Josh Allen may always live his his career in the shadow of Mahomes. Because this, you can been the question: Was this the opportunity? Right, this was a a team that had been all over the place this year, but it started to go on a run. They'd gotten finally the home game against the Chiefs, and they lost. Right, they you know, Stefan Diggs had a very poor game. Josh Allen has been able to avoid all the big mistakes. He hasn't kind of given away too many stupid turnovers. This whole run, and he's he's been locked in doing everything he needs to. But here was the little mistakes that cost him: the decision to pass to one guy instead of another guy, you know, a couple of passes that went astray, the coaching mistakes too in terms of the fate punt, etc. And suddenly, this team—it almost feels like we're maybe getting to the end of a cycle. Uh, and this is a very bad place for the Bills to be because the questions now are. Do we try and run it back, or do we try and change things? And if so, what do we try and change? So, except for Allen, you know, the core team is aging a little bit. They've got a lot of kind of key players on the wrong side of 30, and maybe it's time to start considering a rebuild. The questions have to be asked about Sean McDermott. Is he? I mean, he's he's again. It's it's a little bit like the Cowboys situation. He's a better coach than anything they've had before for a long time, but is he the guy? Is he the guy that will win you a championship? If maybe there's another guy out there who will, then maybe they need to start asking this question. And this is a horrible place to be because the Bills are a good team, and you know we have we have a lot of friends who are Bills fans. We kind of want them to see well, to do well. And even I, as you know, as an AFC East rival fan, I want to see the Bills do well. But it kind of feels like I think you said this right back at the in the season previews that the Bills are maybe the Philip Char- uh, Ronan. You said it. The the Bills are the Phillips Rivers era Chargers and every time a game like this happens it's starting to feel more and more true and you're beginning to wonder if it ever will happen because I I don't know at this point if this team can win a championship if they they can't win in this scenario and they can't win you know in the scenario 
two years ago where Josh Allen plays his ass off and scores 36 points basically single-handedly, then when are they ever going to beat the Chiefs in the playoffs? Um, and yeah, so a lot of questions ahead for the Bills, uh, a lot of work to be done, but I don't know if there are any, are any right answers. I get like it's, it's it's easy in these games to go Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes, but the reality is in this game, I think Josh Allen played at about an equal, if not better, level than Patrick Mahomes. He did the best of what he had, but he was being forced to basically go short the entire game by this defense. Um, Diggs is not playing up to level. He obviously made a big drop, and obviously the defense didn't show up here for them. Um, so for me, like it's not Josh Allen isn't the problem. Josh Allen is a really great quarterback. Like, he has a handful of weaknesses, but they're, they're way outweighed by how good a quarterback he is. But it's just like the team around him. I think there's injuries and stuff to take account. But like the team around him did not perform at the same level for him as the Chiefs have done for Matt Mahomes in a, in a tough season and in the playoffs. Now I think the Chiefs objectively were the better team team than the Buffalo Bills were here. Yeah. And with that ringing in our ears, that ringing endorsement, let's move on and have a look at the games for the conference championships. So first up, AFC Championship, Kansas City traveling up to Baltimore to take them on. Uh, me and John have gone for the Chiefs, Ronan's gone for Baltimore. I was kind of hemming and hawing about uh, Chiefs or Baltimore, uh, but I've said go with your heart. Uh, I'm going to go for the Chiefs. I'm basically calling for what my preseason prediction was, <laughs> uh, which is amazing that it's still on the cards. I'm, I'm quite happy with that. So obviously this is going to be a question of Mahomes versus this incredibly good, exotic, confusing different shifting parts Baltimore defense uh, that you know it completely outmatched CJ Stroud last week he didn't know what to do but Mahomes obviously far more experienced hopefully he'll be able to deal with it a little bit better uh, the concerns are going to be what the Chiefs weapons <laughs> are going to look like will they be able to do what they did last week or will this be a problem Baltimore have a better secondary and a better linebacking core here so I would imagine that you'll find more pressure on Kelsey than he was getting in the last game and essentially what you're looking at is Kelsey Rice and uh, Pacheco as being your safe ones and I think there's enough personnel on this Baltimore team to be able to you know put the adequate kind of cover on them so it will be tough so then the question is can you trust something like, you know, MVS had two big key catches in that last game. Will he be able to do something like that? Do you still have enough faith in Tony to give him two or three plays that run through him? Or is that ship sailed at this point? Um, because he should be back from injury this week. So that's an option. Or do we see some of the, the some of the other guys step up? Do we get, like, you know, uh, Belldozer, the backup tight ends? Do we get Reed? Do we see people like that coming in and, and doing well? Because... This is a yards after catch offense, which is why the air yards are so low. And they have been. It's just that we don't have quite the breakaway speed we used to. So, like, this is a Ravens team that has speed at linebacker, speed in the in, in the secondary. So, I think they're quite well equipped to take on what the Chiefs can give them. We don't have the reliable burner to go down the back. Maybe Rice, but he doesn't do as much of that these days. So, like... We'll have to see what that offense looks like. I think running the ball, if particularly if Tooney's there and we can get Creed Humphrey being pulled out to, to, to kind of lead block, and then that might shift them in a little bit and that might give us a shot. But I think that's a very interesting what kind of motion stuff Kansas City are going to be able to do to, 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 to force Baltimore to change out of, of some of the looks that they're going to have. Then we've got Lamar, who's playing at an incredibly high level. Like He's going to be the season's MVP. He uh, is great on the ground he's great through the air they're going to have mark andrews back they're going to have uh, isaiah likely there so two good tight ends they've got a lot of weapons uh, that they can use so 
you know, there's multiple ways that they can cut you. And as we said, the Chiefs defense showed last week that they're susceptible to the run, and particularly when there's a run game and there's a running quarterback. So hopefully, you know, Gay's back and he's able to play because he kind of acts as a spy, and that was why they found a little bit of better success at the start of the game against uh, against Buffalo because he was there to try and contain Allen a little bit, but then they. You know, once as soon as he was out, they didn't have that kind of speedy linebacker to, to move around. So Spagnuolo is going to have to make some decisions here. What slowed them down in the first half last week was, as you said, Sean, the blitz was causing issues. They weren't getting the ball out quick enough on the Baltimore side, and they adjusted to that afterwards. Spags does like to go aggressive and, and, and to blitz, but the problem was they adjusted to that. I think Houston blitzed 75% of plays last week, which is, not to say a little bit one note, we'll say, um, and that's why it didn't work. So will the blitz work or will we have to pull back away from that? Well, you know, it's it, it, it's a messy one. Like I said, because there's so many ways Baltimore can come at you, uh, KC have good defensive personnel, but it's just to see, like, it's very hard to plan for three different potentials because they've got a good run game they've got good receivers and they've got a quarterback that can be mobile so there's just a lot to prepare for the numbers the actual you know disconnect the heart from the head here says baltimore win this game but pat mahomes has been playing well he'd be able to diagnose defenses far better than other people have this baltimore team while very impressive have shown some weaknesses and if they can't get their game plan going there's a chance and fuck it if I actually managed to call the Super Bowl correctly in the preseason, I'll, 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 I could probably retire at that point. So I'm going Kansas City, but I do see, Fitz, that your analytical take is probably correct that Baltimore should be the favourites, and the bookies have them at three and a half points favourites. Yeah, I think, you know, Baltimore have earned being the best team on the stretch. I think, you know, they've took care of some really good teams, like the 49ers, like the, the Lions... Uh, you know, and now they face like a really big test, obviously, with a Chiefs team that's, you know, out, like on the defense, certainly probably one of the best defenses that the Chiefs have had. And on the offense, you know, they have Patrick Mahomes, and we'll get to that later on. But I think for me, you know, the big question now is okay, Lamar, you got you got a playoff win. He has got a playoff win before, albeit that was in the wild card. You know, now you, you face like the champions, and I think you face a really tough defense. I think, you know, the big issue, as you said, is where how much will Lamar just play his game and force the Spagnolo to um, adjust to him, uh, or how much he'll be around. Because I think like Spags, obviously, you know, traditionally one of the most aggressive, exotic blitz type guys himself in the NFL. I think in the last year or two, he's become not quite as dependent on that kind of play calling. It's become more about solidity. They've obviously got two great linebackers, maybe even three, depending how you want to count it. Um, they've obviously done a lot of job to improve their, their cornerbacks on the outside. I think like Sneed has earned respect at this point. And then McDuffie and Jalen Watson, they have decent depth there. And obviously when you have Chris Jones up in the middle, you're, you're going to get pressure um, just through him at all. So, you know, I think that the safer thing to do would probably be to, you know, play a kind of uh, zone keep your eye on Lamar don't allow him to have the free rushes um, and just kind of do it that way and basically contain Lamar because I think this isn't a game about getting pressure or like kind of getting sacks on Lamar this is a game about containing Lamar keep Lamar in the pocket and prove to you that, that Lamar isn't just like a good quarterback and a good real quarterback quote unquote but that he is 
learned enough and has enough help from Todd Munkin, obviously a defensive coordinator who actually knows how to, you know, call a pass game to be a great quarterback. Because now we're at the top of the top, you need, you will need to potentially be a great quarterback to, to pick apart the, the Lillard-Jarius needs, to take advantage of the fact that Mike Edwards might be out and they're pretty, you know, frail in the middle and maybe Mark Andrews comes back and that takes advantage of that and to, to, to maximise what you can get in the pass game because I do think the Chiefs if they're smart, and I think that like they've shown enough smart to do it, that they with Chris Jones they get enough of natural pressure that they can just kind of keep the pocket around Lamar and just don't let him out and just make him play like quote unquote a fully pass game. I think he's he's evolved enough that you can't just do the blitz him, you know, uh, zero blitzes every down and confuse him that way. I think he has evolved past that, but I, you know, now he has to show he's evolved into you know the Mahomes level, the Tom Brady levels. Like that's what you need to do potentially to win this game. Um, if if the Chiefs can keep it close, and on the other hand, um, on the other side, obviously, I do have major concerns for the Chiefs. You know, the Chiefs, you know, they're obviously like you know, there's there's very big questions of whether Joe Tooney is there. If he's missing, that's a huge knockdown for that offensive line i do think that the ravens defense is playing at an immense level a hugely like i think they are playing you know by far the best defense certainly down the stretch of anyone in the nfl like it's not they're not doing it with like all the big names you might have but the the spine of their defense is elite so the middle of the field is going to be really rough uh for pacheco in the past game and for guys like rashi rice or, or Kadarius tony whoever you know like uh, you know whoever they happen to be passing to like travis kelsey obviously i think will be locked up tight uh, by roquan smith and co and so it's going to be really tough to get those kind of over the middle yards after the catch I think the Ravens have shown uh, that not only are they good at stopping that you know just in the sense of getting there uh, like stopping those concepts but that as soon as like they, they lose quote unquote that they're so quick and aggressive in the middle at getting to them that those kind of free yards that it's such se- so central to the modern NFL in terms of offense um, aren't going to be there so then it's like well what are the Chiefs going to do they're going to like throw it deep to the MVS and like like burn them deep and they haven't really shown that much vulnerability it's probably their weakest aspect but that's still not a weakness per se for this Baltimore defense and so it's really just then about um on, like can like you know you know, it's, 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 they've overplayed their level at Madibuke and, and Clarny and stuff on that uh, defensive line. Like, I think, you know, if they can't get enough pressure, like, that's going to be trouble just because, you know, it's Patrick Mahomes. And I think that's the big thing, like, right? I think objectively, the Baltimore defenses are playing an incredibly high level. I think Lamar is playing at a really high level. I think on both sides, I think I would say they've played at a higher level than the Chiefs the entire season and have done it against not just poor teams, but also great teams like San Francisco. But ultimately you know if you're picking the Chiefs I think it's pretty obvious why and it's because they've got Patrick Mahomes and you know it's the Chiefs kingdom and Patrick Mahomes is the king of the Chiefs he's the king of the AFC West he's the king of the AFC he's the king of the Super Bowl and you know everything says that you know Baltimore have the advantage here and there's so little talent you know the talent here is either getting old or is bad but I'm sure as Baltimore people would know more well than anyone if you come at the king you best not miss. So uh, you stole the line. I was going to use that line. <laughs> you were, I thought you were setting it up, and I was going to do it, and then you setting it up for yourself. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is going to be a really, really good game of football because I think there's just there's just so much ability, talent, experience, everything on both sides of the ball for both teams that it's just going to be this incredible chess match in all areas at all times. Like you've got, 
you got great coaches uh, and a great team of coaches below them, Andy Reid and his guys and John Harbaugh and his guys. You've got the Ravens we've talked about are really strong on both sides of the ball and have found a, a really amazing place. Maybe more defense and offense, but the offense is really damn good too. And you've got the Chiefs similarly. You know, it's it's amazing thing that potentially the weakest unit in this game is the, is the Chiefs offense and yet the Chiefs offense is the one that has Pat Mahomes you know possibly the best quarterback uh the best quarterback of his generation and if not you know already in contention for best ever uh and got you know weapons like Travis Kelsey who's probably the best tight end of his of his generation uh like that's the weak point the, the weak point is is this is that that just shows you it's going to be an absolutely amazing game I think there's going to be an awful lot of back and forth and I think this game will come down to adjustments. It will come down to, you know, how this could you know, be the Spagnola defense, how, what kind of problems it can cause for the Ravens, and whether they can stop the Ravens getting on those runs. Like the things the Ravens do when they win these big games this season is they just they just have a period in the game where they've made some adjustment, and then they just score 21 points, in, you know, back to back to back, and that's the game over. And that seems to be how they do it. They, they find a weakness and then they just exploit it, exploit it, exploit it before the other team can adjust. So there's a challenge on Spagnola to firstly not allow that weakness to be exposed and maybe there is something here about the run game and it'll be interesting to see if the Ravens do a very run-heavy uh, approach. But also to be counter-adjusting. I think there'll, there'll have to be a lot of movement on the fly. And similarly, on the other side, you've got Pat Mahomes against one of the more exotic defenses we've seen, like the the cutting edge of modern NFL defense up against one of the best quarterbacks has ever been. And that's just going to be absolutely fascinating um, to watch. And so I, I, I'm just going to enjoy it. And I... I really appreciate in these kind of situations being able to enjoy it as a neutral because I imagine Connor is going to just, you know, his his heart's going to be on the table and he's going to be, you know, with every blow that happens where I can step back and just appreciate it as a work of art because I think it's going to be a really, really high-level game with a lot of interesting things and a lot of things to talk about coming out of it. And ultimately, I go for the Chiefs simply because I just have this feeling and I've been talking about this for a few weeks now. Uh, they've they just couldn't figure things out this season. They, they were all over the place on the offensive side. And it just wasn't working. And it just seems like four weeks ago, they or three or four weeks ago, they decided, fuck it, we're just going to grind this out, right? Our strength, we have, you know, we have the best quarterback in the league, but our strengths are actually in the run game. It's actually in getting into field position for field goals. It's relying on the defense to clamp it down. It's actually, we can win low-score games more than we can win high-score games. And so that's the kind of game we have to play. And I just have the feeling the Chiefs, they just have this ability, call it championship mentality or whatever, call it the right game plan, to just grind out the win. And we've seen that consistently now for, for a few weeks in a row. And I think they're just going to grind it out. They're going to find a way to keep this game close until the end. And then Pat Mahomes is going to do something. And, and he's going to get the ball with like two minutes left. And he's going to score the winning touchdown because he always does. And that's it. Like, I think the Chiefs are just going to find a way to, to win this game, even if, if on paper the Ravens are a nominally more talented, more exciting, more advanced team in terms of where they are this season. The Chiefs are the Chiefs, and the Chiefs always win, and this kind of feels like it's going to be one of those games where we, we see, see that lesson over and over again. Yeah, it's shaping up to be quite a fun one. Uh, we've got the NFC Championship up next, Detroit at San Francisco. Like I said, go with your heart. Uh, Detroit for me, San Francisco for the two lads. Like This is a slightly battered Detroit O-line. They've got a good run game. Uh, fingers crossed, still do. But this is against an incredibly high-level San Francisco defense. They've got a great defensive line. They've got 
very, very elite linebackers to try and cause issues, both rushing them down and also taking away the middle of the field, which is something they'd like to hit with their tight ends quite a bit. So what we got to do is hope that we get a Jared Goff game and not a Jared Goof game, and then we've got a chance here because San Francisco looked very, very fragile last week. They looked like they should have lost to the Green Bay Packers. They are not firing on all cylinders. They have injury issues at wide receiver. Devo Samuel is not likely to play here. We, we haven't got any clarity, but we haven't heard positive notes about it at any at any stretch. Um, Purdy has been coming back down to earth of late as well. He's not been having great games. He had one touchdown last week. He, you know, he needs to have a bigger game. Like, the one thing I think that would, like, cause most of the the internet chatter to explode here would be if San Francisco were to win, but it was like, you know, uh, 13 to 10, and it was all based on field goals and interceptions and stuff like that. So we'll see. Is this Detroit defense going to be good enough to cause issues for him? I don't know, because like Christian McCaffrey is just incredibly good. Kittle is incredibly good. Ayuk is incredibly good. So they do have weapons there. But I do think overall, I'd probably take this Detroit defense over the Green Bay defense. And they were able to stifle them a bit last week. So we'll see how that works. I would love to see just big explosive game out of Detroit. Really stick it to San Francisco. Yes, they came back from behind last week. But that's, I think they're 1-22 in in those games or something now. Like it's not. Pardon? One in thirty. One in thirty. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> I Lose, imagine lead, losing by seven points, or maybe it's only five. Going to the fourth quarter, five points down or something. There, there were one. There were seven points plus going into fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, but like, this is the thing. Like, Detroit have the ability to do that. They've got a tough nosed defense. That if they can get after them, if Hutchinson can cause some pressure, like we've seen that Purdy. He's very good at times, but he is an incomplete quarterback. If he's pressured, if he's rushed, if he can't set his feet, move him off his spot, he makes mistakes, and that's what they need to see. And if Debo's not there, who's kind of, you know, the key to a lot of what they do on this offense, Detroit definitely have a chance. They're on the road. It's tough times. They don't have experience as much as San Francisco do and so on. But you know what they also don't have experience of? Losing the championship game, losing the (laughs) conference game. Detroit only know under this leadership, absolutely tearing it through this year, and hopefully they can do one more. Detroit are the team that everyone will want to win, that will cheer for. They'd be the most cracked to get there. They'd be, you know, a proper, you know, bad team done good. Kind of what you would have liked to have seen for the Browns four or five years ago before they became dickheads again. Like, everyone wants the Lions to win. I know San Francisco again. If I put my thinking cap on and I cut off my heart and I just say, well, who's probably going to win this? San Francisco. Who do I want to win it? Detroit. And can I see a route to them doing it? Definitely. Because San Francisco haven't been the San Francisco of old for the last couple of weeks now. I think it's definitely doable. It's an uphill battle, but I believe in in, in, in this Detroit team to be able to, to, to pull it off. Campbell will bite kneecaps till the bitter end. Yeah, if, if, the, if the AFC Championship game is a game for the neutrals in terms of just being a, you know a high quality game of football this is a game for the the fans right this is going to be a game to put on your Detroit Lions hat and unless you're a 49ers fan I think everybody should be a Lions fan and just cheer your heart out for this team it's just I mean it's, it's worth putting in mind it's like they haven't been here for for 33 years that this team has been has been terrible for an entire not like football generation entire generation of humans have never seen a good Detroit Lions team uh, until now um, and 
uh, you know, in my heart, I want them to, to, to win so badly and, and I want to see them in the Super Bowl. I think it would be an amazing moment for the city, for Dan Campbell, for, for all the players and, and everything to see it. Will it happen? I, I, I think there is a chance. As I said I, I, in, the, in the reviews, I think the Lions are... They had some problems in the middle of the season, unquestionably. Their defense ha- had weaknesses and Goff was having uh, strings of bad games together. But I, I really feel that they've solved those problems. They've come together and they've, they've put together back to back to back to back quite good performances. And, and they've never really looked like the, the team that was struggling to beat the Bears uh, in the middle uh, of the season. They've got an offensive side, which, you know, Okay, there's some injuries on the O-line, which could call problems because it's quite a strength for them. But you've got Jared Goff, who's suddenly playing at a, a higher level than anyone thought possible, with some incredible weapons around him. Uh, Amon Ra, and, and depending on who's healthy in, in terms of the tight ends or whatever, Laporta, uh, Zach Ertz. Um, they've got a, you know, run again, run game. Uh, options on the offensive side uh, the defense may be a little bit weak weaknesses the secondary is not as strong as it could be and there perhaps are things that can be got at there and certainly you'd imagine that that Shanahan and his boys are scheming up how to, how to get at the weak points of this Lions defense but they're not as weak as they were in like week 10 or whatever that they, they again have evolved forward and are not making the mistakes that they used to so I think there's every reason to believe the Lions will be competitive here and in you know the contextual situation of a game where anything can happen and under the lights and San Francisco, okay, maybe they had one comeback, but they still maybe have that vulnerability. If they get behind, they might start questioning themselves on how to, how to get ahead, especially if say they're without Depot and the offense is not quite clicking. I think the lines can maybe grab hold of the, the atmosphere of the stadium in, in a way and, and, and kind of use that against the, the 49ers um, because this is a very good 49ers team and, and their fans expect them to win and if they're not winning it, it could it could become quite a situation to see. So I, I certainly think the Lions have a chance here. I just I just think this 49ers team is really, really good. Um, I've been talking about them all year. They were my pick right at the beginning of the year to do an awful lot of damage and I haven't stepped back too far from how good I think that they are albeit I went too far when I said they could go 17 you know uh, but we've all we've all made uh, mistakes uh, go on Sean lock them up lock them up <laughs> I'm not going to lock up the 49ers no uh, I don't think that curse works any, anymore anyway but uh, yeah I think that the Niners have more talent uh, on both sides, the the defense, you know, is quite not just well schemed to a certain extent, but also has an awful lot of talented players from Fred Warner to 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 um, other guys whose names I can't remember at the moment. Um, that they will cause problems for Detroit, and obviously, if Goff Goff has to be on his A game, he has to be able to to read the field and make quick decisions and not be caught into doing stupid things, um, because it, if it's going to fall apart for the Lions, that kind of you feel where it will come, where it will happen. Um, on the on the offensive side, obviously they've got all the weapons in the world. Even without Debo, as we saw last week, they do ha- find ways to win. But there are weaknesses there. Purdy is not the, you know, he's he's not the gunslinger. He's a he's a game manager, and if he can't, if the game script isn't right, then he won't be able to manage them to victory. Uh, will they lean too hard on on McCaffrey, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Um, but the Lions have to ask those questions. The Lions have to find a way to ask the 49ers a lot of questions on the offensive side, uh, and on the other side build up a lead and hold on to it because if the 49ers get into their groove we've seen this season they are capable of just destroying teams that they've got the talent that if if things if they get a fast start uh they could be out of sight by halftime um and in that situation i don't you don't really back the lines to make a comeback in that kind of scenario so on unlike the game that the kc baltimore game which i think will be back and forth i think this game could 
swing one way and that would be decisive. If one team gets 10 points up, the game is over, basically, because I, I don't think either team has the capability of pulling it back from there. So it's all about the fast start. It's all about who can get the momentum at the right moment and get that lead and then hold on to it. And I think because the Niners have more talent and a tiny bit more experience at this level, uh, I, you've got to back them. But my heart says Detroit, but my, my mind it does say San Francisco. Yeah, I think the good news for everyone who wants the Lions to win is that the 49ers have not looked like the 49ers like they had a weird season they started off incredibly hot and everyone's like they're the best team in the league they obviously had that mid-season swoon where it's like well, what the hell happened here and then it felt like once they came out of the swoon they started winning games that okay they've they've steadied the ship they're beating teams like the eagles and seahawks quite easily and then just the last part of the season like let's say the last four weeks or so they just didn't look like the 49ers obviously the last week was preseason type action so forget about that but even against teams like the cardinals and the commanders like they won those games easily the scores say they won like by 20 plus points or so um but they didn't look great in the first half of those games they, they kind of let what were pretty poor teams hang around for a lot of time and then obviously they got hockeyed uh, effectively by the ravens and then obviously you go to last week and you know once again you're kind of going okay this was you know they won the game but a green bay team that you know is very young and experienced put it up them and probably should have beat them and you kind of go okay well what what's going on here and the defense is still playing at a high level but i think the expectations of the defense is so high that maybe they've underperformed a little bit um but i do think they are vulnerable in certain ways i do think you can run the ball on them i i think like you've seen teams able to do that like the, the, the cardinals did that quite successfully um, I do think on the outside cornerbacks, you know, like I think you're seeing, you know, they're overperforming their talent level with guys like Traverius Ward and Lenoir. Uh, well, Ward's actually fine, but Lenoir and others are not there. And so it's really, you know, can their defensive line dominate you? And I think the big thing is that they take away, I think why I still pick the 49ers is that their defense is designed to take away the kind of things that are part of the modern NFL, which is the middle of the field. Like I think, you know, I wouldn't say it's a no-go zone with Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw on there, but I would be afraid of going into that zone and that's going to have an effect particularly on that kind of passing crazy passing game across the middle um to Laporta and to Amon Ra and so I think maybe it's a game where you might need to see someone more like Jamison Williams or Josh Reynolds win outside or at least kind of in the outside in type zones of the defense and I think you definitely want to see can we bully this team up front uh, with Montgomery and uh, I think, you know, I think Gibbs will still be a major factor. Um, but maybe there's a game where, you know, the more finesse Gibbs kind of save that and then unleash that when, when the 49ers are worn down a little bit. And just kind of, yeah, play. Like, I think that's fine because that, that's one of the games Detroit are happy with. But I just do worry that, you know, you can't see Goff get confused. You can't see Goff. And I think, as, as Sean says, like the biggest factor here is probably going to be who can get up first, who can build a lead, if any, in this game because they're going to have a major strategic advantage. But I think on the other side, the ball that's where things get really interesting because objectively this Detroit off uh, defense isn't great they're not great at getting pressure um, outside of Hutchinson um, you know their outside quarterbacks I would say are middling similar to 49ers uh, I think the middle of their like their in terms of their linebacker and safety core and kind of nickelback core I think that's improved a lot as they've got guys back from injury uh, and certainly there's guys out there who are willing to make you know enforce the law on people like uh, Debo in particular if he plays but even guys like Kittle uh, like Kirby jo uh, Kirby, jo Kirby Joseph who maybe a little too much some would claim uh, based on comments about him in, in, in against uh, in the wildcard round uh, so I think they're like I think across the middle I think they actually are now better built to kind of take away that kind of the easy throws the 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 the, the, the Shadowhand staples you know 
big like intermediate big like intermediate type throws 10 plus type throws across the middle that's the bread and butter of why Shanahan's scheme has taken over the NFL so I do think they have the potential to take that and I think with Aleem McNeil back in there in particular across the defensive line they have I think you saw the run game defense uh get back to you know not elite but back to being a good level uh, compared to kind of it fell off there towards the back end of the season and so I think you know San Francisco they have CMC right who can win game by himself they have big play potential uh from George Kittle and from Brandon Ayuk they may or may not have the yak of Debo um but the big question is Brock Purdy right and I think you know it's inevitable right he's a he's a Mr. Irrelevant he's played so well everyone but everyone's like what guy like you know all the other guys here are like first round picks or whatever um this guy was you know the last guy in the draft and you know you saw enough moments particularly obviously what baltimore did and you're kind of going is this guy being figured out i think he's still better than jimmy g who's obviously they carried to a super bowl previously um but you know you're starting to see the dancing you're starting to see the pressure you're starting to see him not really and even the drive that he succeeded last week at green bay that was mostly him just taking what green bay gave him just kind of dumping it off and letting his guys do their work and i think that could work in detroit's defense because it's not good enough but i think you've seen enough vulnerability from from brock purdy that you know he's obviously just not he's not a mahomes and he's not a, a lamar he's probably more like a golf and that means if the system if they can break the system down and you know the Detroit defense will play hard and they will rally to the ball and they will try and stop the yak and so this is maybe a defense you would be better going over the top instead of trying to go through the middle of um then you know they have they certainly have a, a fighter's chance because I think this 49ers team isn't the 49ers team that we thought we had in the first half of the season uh but I do think Detroit especially if that with the offensive line injuries I think the games where they've struggled are the games where they can't dominate the line so if they can't dominate the line I think golf breaks down a bit I think they can still run the ball a bit but it won't be enough to get it done here um but I think they have a much more of a fighter's chance than I would have expected uh based on all, all the things I've talked about there so you know, I'm picking four Niners because I think they're a better team, they're more talented, and they have obviously shown the, the class. But yeah, I, I obviously I'm rooting for Detroit to win. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to support a, a division rival Ooh. by any stretch. Uh, but I think objectively, I think the 49ers should get this done. I think their strengths map well onto what Detroit has based their strength on um, in terms of being able to probably not lose at the slide of scrimmage and to they can clog up the, the, the lanes in the middle of the field. And without a dominant offensive line and without the passes across the middle i'm not sure that goff himself has enough arrows in the in the bow as it were uh to beat what's left out there um for uh the, the 49ers defense and so i think they lose that end and on the other end i think they actually have much more of a fighter stance almost than that end but they'll have to do it well to, to to kind of shut down all of the weapons that we know they have and they don't have the elite personnel of mm. baltimore to get it done and I suppose we can also at this point congratulate uh, Ronan has won the picks competition for this year as he is four ahead and there's only three games left to pick unless we separate the individual skills challenges at the uh, <laughs> Pro Bowl yes. count the Pro Bowl as well uh, <laughs> very good guys very good any plans for the weekend uh, well yeah no I think mostly just sport I'm still getting over the shocking news that oh, just yes, came out today Klopp is that, leaving Liverpool that isn't Jürgen it? Klopp has left so there'll be I think they're playing on Sunday, so there'll be some emotion there. But uh, yeah, apart from that, I think I think it's just the time of the year for for sports and NFL in particular. Uh, so I think I'll be sitting down to watch some uh, Sunday night football. Very good. What about yourself, Roland? Uh, nothing too exciting. Uh, just tipping away at work, and uh, other than that, yeah, looking forward to some the real football as we get down to the the business end of the season. Mm, yeah, so I'm playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons with some mates on Saturday. Then 
bit of hiking on Sunday followed by a load of football. Monday is booked off so I can watch it all live and have the crack. But uh, yeah, no, should be should be a very fun weekend. Obviously, we'll come back to you then. We'll discuss everything next week that happens in the games. Uh, we'll probably have normally a bit of a slightly shorter episode and then we do a separate kind of big Super Bowl preview the week of the game as well. But uh, so that'll wrap us up for this week. So it's uh, bye from myself. Bye from Ronan. Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening and we'll chat to you next week. 